Chapter Two of Schopenhauer in the Air by Sadakichi Hartman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nemo. Magnolia Blossoms. To James McNeil Whistler, eighteen ninety four. On both sides, a mile's expanse of water, calm and dark. In the distance, the somber silhouettes of proud, towering cedar trees festooned with grapevines, here and there the lighted villa of a sugar plantation. Seldom a free vista on prairie land, and even then a dim line indicating that the forest was not far off. What a night it was! My soul had left its body to lose itself in the wild, unrestrained beauty around me. From where it came, and only left a trembling suggestion of its existence within me. The other passengers moved around me like shadows, and again and again my eyes drank in all the glory and wealth of that night. And then suddenly I felt that something which concerned me came towards me, a female form. I wanted to step aside. Before I could accomplish it, we stood opposite each other, perhaps only for a few seconds, perchance for a minute drawn by irresistible powers towards each other, and in that moment I was with one stroke brought back to the earth. All that dream of silver and grey faded and made the river look a weary waste of monotony. My mind resented that a woman, a perfect stranger, could have such power over me. I tried to lose myself again in the scene around me, in vain. The stranger with her large, dark eyes had captivated me, and however I struggled to resist, I had to look again and again at her seductive form. There she stood, proud and erect, like an incarnation of tempting womanhood, like the magnolia trees on the banks, a beauty too abundant in strength to bend even under the storms of sorrow, taciturn, not trembling, and whispering at the slightest breeze. She was dressed in black without a glimpse of color to relieve the vague severity of her appearance. Although her melancholy garb was tightly fitting to her figure, there was no impression of dry rigidity, on the contrary, a certain looseness that made me involuntarily think of the magnolia leaf, dark and polished on the surface, soft and silvery below. At last, Something in her features, around her eyes, that told she was no longer young and inexperienced. I meditated on the strange coincidences in our journey of life. How accidents now and then, for a fleeting moment, brings together two human beings who probably will never cross each other's path again, and yet who in that momentary meeting feel that they could get along tolerably well together in this world and how the recollection of this woman in black, as the months and years pass on, might sink deeper and deeper into the unconscious caverns of my memory, lose its outlines, melt together with other similar impressions, and dissolve into that chaos of latent vibrations of which eroticism, the motive power of all life, consists, and how after years, perchance in some melancholy mood, by glancing at some object or hearing some noise on the street, 
or some other suggestion bursting forth from the momentary environment, I might become conscious of a vague light spot amid reminiscences of the past, and trying to solve the mystery, suddenly perceive the vision of the woman in black in a moonlight night on the Mississippi River. She was leaning with her elbow on the railing, cheek and hands, like Melpomene of old, gazing at the magnolia swamps. Was it the odor of their large white blossoms wafted across the water, or did she herself exhale that heavy perfume which oppressed my senses? My worship of nature had changed into that of humanity. I longed to lose myself in another human soul. I felt like stepping up and speaking to her, yet somehow I could not overcome a certain shyness within me. I had not the courage to surmount the conventional barriers. Instead, I imagined how I might approach her, what words I would use, and what she would answer. And these imaginaries, likely more beautiful than the reality could ever be, urged me with new temptations at every step. A resolute, disgusted with my cowardice, I paced up and down, and whenever I came near her, our eyes searched for each other, but in our mutual excitement, timidity, and embarrassment, they often failed to meet, and their union was never as spontaneous and vehement as in the first recognition of our affinity. Yet, I was convinced, were I to find the opportunity to make the most commonplace remark about the beautiful moonlit night to her, we would have known before the first faltering phrases of a conversation had been interchanged, that, to us the most natural thing in the world, we were two of those human beings who belonged to each other completely. And could it be that in a few hours, at our place of destination, the currents of human civilization would sweep her in one direction and me in another, never to meet each other again, and willfully dispensing with an acquaintance that might have meant happiness to both of us. She now turned, looking over the railing into the moonlit waters, flowing, incessantly flowing, like the hours of our life to the sea of oblivion. Did she know how defenseless a woman in that position is to the scrutinizing glances of men, not capable of taking in all the details of a woman's appearance directly under the gaze of her eyes. The physiognomy of her back was at my mercy. The proud carriage of her shoulders, what supple sweeping curves from her arm to hip. How flat the line of the spinal cord, yet how elastic. Yet what was this? Why were the corners of my mouth all at once cynically drawn down as in disgust? Why did all my exalted feelings about woman's worth and beauty tumble together into a meaningless heap? Why did I, just at that moment, perceive that the moon was hiding behind clouds and darkness lay upon the mighty sweeping flood as on my soul? I saw her dark dress broken by the glimpse of something white. How hopelessly indecent all sex relations are in our nervous, colorless age. Everything is so suggestive, so hopelessly risque in a woman's dress. If two buttons of her waist are open, 
or if she lifts her skirt, we feel embarrassed, for everything in nature is so cruelly distorted by modern dress, by our habits, by the arts, the brutality of men, and the vanity of women themselves. Everywhere immaculate lilies with debauchery in the depths of their chalices. I shivered and, glancing up, saw how anxiously she stared at me, as if she were afraid some ill had befallen me, and then she looked at me with that look which men usually cannot resist, begging for all we had lost. I cruelly, painfully shook my head, and confused, she hastened downstairs with a staggering step. I knew that we two could not sit together in the moonlight, with that seductive perfume in the air, with the apparent affinity of our souls, without falling into the banalities of life. In a commonplace pressure of the hand, even a kiss, would have been a sacrilege in the vast cathedral of nature, whose soundless symphonies again broke into my soul. End of Magnolia Blossoms <laughs>